0: You're listening to Comedy Central. April 23rd, 2019. From Comedy Central's World News Headquarters in New York, this is The Daily Show with Trevor Noah. Ears edition.
1: Our guests tonight, let's do this. Our guests tonight. Wow, okay, okay. Our guests tonight are the authors of a fascinating new book on Congress in the age of Trump. Politico's Jake Sherman and Anna Palmer are joining us, everybody. Also tonight, Democrats want Mike Pence to be president. Elon Musk is giving your car a job and CNN hosts the most boring binge watch of all time. But first, let's catch up on today's headlines. Let's start with some technology news. If you're a Samsung owner who survived your exploding phone, good news, (laughs) the new phones break in a less explody kind of way.
0: Samsung is postponing the release of its highly anticipated Galaxy Fold smartphone. That's after reviewers reported problems with those screens that fold like a sandwich.
2: Test users reporting all sorts of problems, debris getting underneath the screen, malfunctioning displays,
3: even total failure of the device after just a couple days of basic usage.
1: Yes, it turns out it isn't a good idea to take a screen and fold it in half. I'll be honest though, I'll be honest. I'm bummed about this because I don't need a folding phone for anything, but I I liked this idea, you know? I liked how it made me feel like we were in the future. You know, like when was the last time you had a phone that did that? Because new phones are just like, your old phone has two cameras, but this one has three cameras. Whoa. (laughs) It makes the background blurry. My grandmother makes the background blurry every time she takes a picture. All right, (laughs) that's not a feature. But a folding screen, that was futuristic. I just wanted to get this phone so that I could show it off to my uncles in Africa, blow their minds. Just be like, what if my phone could fold? And be like, oh, Trevor, what is this, magic? And I'd be, yes, it's magic. Oh, you are a witch, ban him, ban him! Be like, it's not magic, look, look, it breaks if I fold it, it breaks if I fold it. Oh, it's only a Samsung, thank God, okay, okay. Actually, I actually have a conspiracy theory about this. You guys want to hear it? Yeah. All right, this is crazy. Sometimes I think Apple secretly owns Samsung, and then they have them screw up all the time just to make the iPhone seem better. Yeah, because every single time I get frustrated with my iPhone battery or something slowing down, then there's a story in the news like, Samsung phones have Ebola now. I'm like, I guess I'll keep you iPhone. Still in the world of technology, Tesla has announced that if you can't afford to buy one of their super cool cars, that won't be a problem for too long.
2: Tesla CEO Elon Musk is promising self-driving taxis will hit the streets by next year. Musk says Tesla owners will be able to use a smartphone app to put their vehicles into commercial service when they're not using them. Under the program, Tesla would collect
4: 25 to 30% of the fare charged to riders.
1: Okay. I don't know how popular this idea is gonna be. Cause if you can afford a Tesla, you probably aren't super excited about letting some random dude eat a tuna sandwich in it for $11. <laughs> and there's other risks as well. I mean, if your car gets a job as a taxi, then at some point your car's gonna start acting like a taxi, right? You're gonna get in one morning and it'll be like, I'll tell you who rarely killed JFK, Russians from outer space! <laughs> Cause like, just think about all the risks. You don't know what your car's doing, it's gone, right? You park your car at the office, and then when you come back after a long day, you open the door, all of a sudden it's full of blood. And you're like, what happened? And the car's like, I don't know. <laughs> I ain't no snitch. <laughs> and finally, Netflix is the second most popular form of entertainment in the world. And now it might be taking down the first.
4: The new study suggests that some people may prefer the Netflix part of Netflix and chill. Researchers say streaming entertainment has become so popular that one in four viewers has turned down intimacy in favor of just watching something on TV. And because of the binge TV model and a lack of commercial breaks, Some think that this could be contributing to the all-time low birth rate that we have been seeing in the US.
1: Let's be real, this is one of those studies that sounds like BS. TV doesn't stop you from having sex. You can just have sex while you're watching the show. Yeah, like if you're watching The Daily Show at home right now and you want to have sex, you can have sex. I'll wait. Yeah. No, no, don't don't leave the room, don't leave the room. Just stay there, Uh uh-huh. Oh, 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 so that's how it's done, okay. Oh, you're done? Okay, all right, let's move on. Now that we all got what we wanted, let's move on to our main story. There's only 559 days left until the presidential election, which is barely enough time for Ben Carson to sing an entire song. It also means it's time to check in on the Democratic primary race in our ongoing segment, World War D. The first primary debates are still months away, but last night CNN gave us a taste of what's to come by hosting not one, not two, but five separate town halls with presidential candidates. That audience had to sit there for five straight hours, which must've been really tough except for the black people. Yeah, because black people are used to this, right? Five hours is one Sunday service at a black church. (laughs) We're used to that. And then at the end, the pastor yells, thank you for coming, my brothers and sisters. I'll see you at the night service later on. (laughs) Yeah, black church is so long, even Jesus leaves after three hours like, I appreciate, I appreciate. I got to go. I got a thing, I got to go. Now, most of you don't have the time to sit through five hours of town halls, but lucky for you, we don't have a life. So we watched the whole thing so we could give you the highlights. Now, each one of these Democrats showed up looking to win over the audience with their policies. So let's kick it off with the front runner. Vermont Senator and man whose voice is stuck in Cap Cap's lock, Bernie Sanders. (laughs) Last night, he proposed phasing out private insurance, decreasing the racial wealth gap and extending the early bird special to 7 (laughs) p.m. But the one moment that got everyone talking was this.
4: Senator Sanders, you have said that you believe that people with felony records should be allowed to vote while in prison. Does this mean that you would support enfranchising people like the Boston Marathon bomber, a convicted terrorist and murderer? I think the right to vote is inherent to our democracy. Yes, even for terrible people. Because once you start chipping away, and you say, well, that guy committed a terrible crime, not gonna let him vote, or that person did that, not gonna let that person vote, you're running down a slippery slope.
1: Wow, that was a tough question to answer. And I get why Bernie is concerned about slippery slopes. Right? Partly because America has a history of using imprisonment to disenfranchise minority voters. Right? And partly because slippery things are every old man's worst nightmare. <laughs> right? Bernie was also going to be like, I'm also thinking we should all get free Reeboks to wear in the shower. It's a dangerous place. So, prisoner voting rights was Bernie's policy bombshell last night, but he wasn't the only one throwing out bold proposals. You see, Kamala Harris had some big ideas of her own. Her town hall was all about reducing the racial gap in maternal mortality, uh, supporting a reparations commission, and making it illegal to mispronounce Kamala. And one of her major (laughs) moments was when she said this.
2: We need reasonable gun safety laws in this country, starting with universal background checks and a renewal of the assault weapon ban. Upon being elected, I will give the United States Congress 100 days to get their act together and have the courage to pass reasonable gun safety laws. And if they fail to do it, then I will take executive action.
1: Wow. Okay, Kamala. (laughs) Okay, Kamala. 100 days for Congress to do gun control or I'll do it myself. That's a powerful threat. Although I don't know if it's gonna work. I mean, it's kind of like a boss telling his laziest employee, I need this report on my desk by the end of the day, or God help me, I will stay here and uh, and I will write it myself. Don't with me, Brian. I'll write the shit out of this report. I'll do it all myself, Brian. So, I mean, that's... That's a pretty crazy idea. And I'll be honest with you, no Democrat, no Democrat has been coming out with more policy ideas than Massachusetts Senator and none that got out Elizabeth Warren. (laughs) For months now, for months, Warren has been releasing policies faster than Netflix, releases documentaries about serial killers. I mean, everything, (laughs) breaking up big tech, uh, housing reform, education. And if you're one of those people who's like, oh yeah, but how's she planning to pay for all of it? Well, she's got answers for that too.
4: I started in several months ago talking about a wealth tax, an ultra-millionaire's tax. It's two cents on every dollar of the great fortunes above $50 million. If we put that two-cent wealth tax in place on the 75,000 largest fortunes in this country, two cents, we can do universal childcare for every baby, zero to five, universal pre-K, universal college and knock back the student loan debt burden for 95% of our students and still have nearly a trillion dollars left over.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's a lot of great proposals from one tax. And you have to admit, it is brilliant how she just frames it as two cents of every dollar above 50 million. Cause that's like, it just gets into your head. It's really just a 2% tax, right? But everything sounds more reasonable when you put it into cents, it's genius. That's why when they ask you to sponsor an African kid, they say for just 80 cents a day, you can save this child. Because if they say you can help this child for $292 a year, you'll be like, wait a minute, that's an Xbox. <laughs> You're on your own, Mufasa. So while Elizabeth Warren was proposing ways to give Americans almost everything, Amy Klobuchar was waiting to make sure that everyone came back down to earth. So Senator Warren says, we'll forgive the debt. If you make under a hundred grand, we'll we'll forgive up to $50,000. What do you think of loan forgiveness and plans that are more generous on the outside than your own? I wish I could staple a free college
4: diploma under every one of your chairs. I do, don't look, it's not there. Um, I wish I could do that, but I have to be straight with you and tell you the truth.
1: Ouch. Clover <laughs> is gangster, man. She's like the anti-Oprah. <laughs> Everyone look under your seats. You ain't getting shit <laughs> what you think this is. I mean, say what you want about her. You have to give Klobuchar credit for leaning into her tough persona, you know? I mean, first there's stories about how she's throwing binders at her stuff. Now she's telling people she's not gonna help them get rid of student debt. Like, she just keeps it real, right? Which might be a good thing to have in a politician. Although, I know I'm never calling her if I'm going through a breakup. Yeah. <laughs> She'll just be like, I won't sugarcoat it, Trevor. That relationship was your best chance at not dying alone. <laughs> <laughs> well, you'll never be president. <laughs> <laughs> Now, Klobuchar wasn't just there to crush people's dreams. Her policies on the night included uh, reducing drug sentences, expanding Pell grants, and uh, telling people to think fast. Although, you could tell the audience wasn't exactly her biggest fan.
4: I am someone uh, that runs in a purple state. And every single time I have run, I have won every single congressional district in my state, including Michelle Bachmann's, okay? It's <laughs> when you guys are supposed to cheer.
1: That was rough. Asking someone to cheer is like asking someone to say, I love you. If they don't do it on their own, that's kind of the answer. And yes, I'm speaking to all the parents out there. Stop asking your toddler if they love you. They don't, all right? They just met you. All they love is baby shark and Ziplocs of dry cereal. They don't like you. But the final town hall of the night was the surging Pete Buttigieg, mayor of South Bend, Indiana, and middle-aged Pinocchio. Unlike the rest of the democratic fields, he didn't come with policy and specifics. No, he came with hearts.
0: Your campaign website, uh, it's got a lot about who you are, what you believe in. It doesn't have anything specific about policy, like nothing. We'll continue to roll out specific policy proposals too, but I also think it's important that we not uh, drown people in minutiae before we vindicated the values that animate our policies.
1: I don't know what he just said, <laughs> but I like him. <laughs> yeah, because that was really slick. He still didn't tell us about his policies, but he made us feel like policies, you know? That was nice. This is like, you know, I don't want to swamp you guys in details and vindicate and, you know, <laughs> You know what he reminds me of? He reminds me of that kid in school who always got good grades without reading any of the books. He'd be like, did you read it? Oh, yeah, Catcher in the Rye. It's such a profound exploration of the human condition. I mean, themes of love, hate, joy, pain. It's it's so relatable. We can all understand. What more do I need to say? (laughs) And you have to admit, you have to admit, running for president as a man is so much more fun, right? Because as a woman, you have to bring extra homework. Elizabeth Warren calculated two cents on every dollar over 50 million. Kamala is breaking down the statistics on maternal mortality as it relates to race and class, but a dude can just come and be like, yeah, I'm just gonna wing it. (laughs) It's a pretty sweet gig. After the break, we'll get into the one issue that all five Democrats had to address, to impeach or not to impeach. So don't go away. We'll be right back. In the wake of the Mueller report, Democrats have been grappling with two questions. One, do they have to read it or can they just wait for the movie? And two, (laughs) should they impeach President Trump? And apparently not everyone is on the same page. I believe Congress should take the steps towards impeachment.
4: If any other human being in this country had done what's documented in the Mueller report, they would be arrested and put in
2: jail.
0: Not all Democratic presidential candidates are on the impeachment bandwagon.
2: Nancy Pelosi telling colleagues we don't have to go to articles of impeachment to obtain the facts.
4: All that the Congress is talking about is impeaching Trump and Trump, Trump, Trump and mulla, mulla, mullah. What I worry about is that works to Trump's advantage. If the House brings the impeachment proceedings before us, we will deal with them. Yeah. But there is a third way to hold this president accountable.
1: We're gonna take him in the parking lot and beat his ass. <laughs> no, I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. But it would have been funny if she said that. If she was like, Mr. President, come out here. You ever been binder slapped? Come here. Come here. Come here. <laughs> so clearly, impeachment is not as clear cut as it seems. And for more on this and whether or not Trump should be thrown out of office, we turn to a man who regularly gets thrown out of his dentist's office Michael Costa, everybody. <laughs> Oh, I'm sorry, Trevor, my, uh, my dentist can just
0: stick his hands in my mouth, but I can't stick my hands in his mouth. <laughs> Hypocrite
1: much? Uh, Michael, it seems like Kamala Harris and Elizabeth Warren are the only major candidates who want impeachment proceedings to start, why?
0: Well, well, of course these women want to impeach Trump, because if Trump gets impeached, then they'll be running against Mike Pence, and then they'll definitely win because he can't debate them unless Mother is also on
1: stage. <laughs> Okay, that's a good theory, but I, I don't know if it's true, because, Michael, it also seems like Pelosi yeah. is not yet on board, you know, so people are torn. What do you make of her strategy to pursue more investigations before impeachment? I, I think it's the right move.
0: I know a lot of the younger Democrats want to impeach right away, but impeachment is a special thing that should be saved for the president who truly deserves it, okay? You don't want to look back and regret who you impeached. and. In the meantime, there's a lot of other ways Democrats can satisfy these urges they're feeling. They can use their hands to issue subpoenas or use their mouth to denounce Trump's actions. And if hands and mouth stuff isn't good enough, they can practice impeaching
1: themselves. It it doesn't feel the same, but it's still good. Michael, we're not idiots, we see what you're doing. You're comparing this to having sex for the first time. Oh, no but I guess that's where your mind is at. I'm just reminding
0: these overly excited Democrats that they don't have to go all the way just yet. You know, here, let let me draw you a picture to explain, okay? So, look, here are the Democrats who favor impeachment, okay? And here are the Democrats who don't.
1: Now, okay, please, dude, I know what, you you do this all the time, man. You're just drawing a button. What is wrong with you, Trevor? This is a peach
0: for impeachment. Okay? But if you're not ready for impeachment, there's another option that's only two inches away, and a lot of people believe it doesn't technically count. Okay, okay, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm stopping this. Wait, I'm, I haven't even drawn the dick yet. Michael Costa, everyone, we'll be right I, back. You, you do this every,
1: you do this. Welcome back to The Data Show. My guest tonight, Are senior writers for Politico, co authors of Politico Playbook, and the new national bestseller, The Hill to Die on, The Battle for Congress, and the Future of Trump's America. Please welcome Jake Sherman and Anna Palmer. (laughs) Welcome to the show. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Um, first of all, congratulations on having a book about Congress that people actually want to read. Yeah, we were told
3: for many years that if we wrote a book about Congress, no one would read it. So we decided to test that proposition.
1: Right. Why, though?
2: (laughs) Why? Congress is the most interesting place as a reporter. There's 535 basically class presidents who are vying for power (laughs) and love to talk to people like us.
3: And we got to write a story once many years ago about uh, members of Congress skinny-dipping in the Sea of Galilee. Right. So that's when I really got sold on the whole proposition of covering Congress.
1: So you are the only person who heard of Congress people naked and were like, yeah, I want more. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that makes you an interesting person right. in of itself. Yeah, yeah. Um, you are known for writing Politico's playbook, which many people regard as the be-all and end-all of politics and what's happening in D.C. You have it coming out two times a day. It tells people everything they need to know in, like, the shortest form possible. You know, just, like, tidbits and, like, this is happening, Pelosi's doing this, Trump is doing that, that's gonna happen with Mitch McConnell, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Was it different having a long form to work within?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, th- I think that was exciting to us. And we had the arc of two years and the shutdown, so Election Day to Election Day. Right. And then we, we didn't know the government was going to shut down in the longest one of history. Yes. Uh, um, but it was a- kind of exciting to pull the lens back, go up and zoom out a little bit about these characters that we've known intimately for so long.
1: Let's, let's talk about the shutdown, because that that is one of the most interesting parts of this book. We knew about the shutdown from the outside. What I liked about this book is you get into the inner workings of how the shutdown actually happened, and it involves key characters. You've got Trump, and then you've got Mitch McConnell, but then you've got the House Freedom Caucus, who a lot of people will just be like, oh, it's just a crazy group of right-wing fanatics, but they're really precise. That's how you describe them in the book.
3: Yeah, they are. They're very precise. So uh, the bigger story is Donald Trump followed Paul Ryan for two years. Did did basically a lot of what he said, And, and Donald Trump... His campaign was pretty clear. He wanted a a wall on the border with Mexico. There was no two ways about that. And he was very obvious about that. Paul Ryan did not deliver that for him and said for two years, "Ah, we'll do it later, we'll do it later, we'll do it later. And finally, at the end of the day, Donald Trump decided to to, uh, side with the Freedom Caucus, which is a group of 20 Republicans who were the most 20... the 20 most powerful people on planet Earth, really, because they controlled
1: Congress. Break break that down for me, because you do it in the book, but explain that, because... One part of the book, you say nobody has power. It's individuals. But then you talk about these 20 who are the most powerful. What does that mean?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think what was interesting is uh, Jim Jordan, who was one of the leaders of the Freedom Caucus, said, you know, we're Republicans. We don't believe in unions, but we are basically a union. By banding together, they were able to stop any piece of legislation on the House floor Whether the the Republican leadership wanted it or not.
3: And and they favor more uh, drastic tactics to get what they want, shutting down the government. They believe in legislative calamities, legislative crises, that people get confused and do things they wouldn't otherwise do. So they thought Nancy Pelosi, for some reason, would not be able to sustain the position, no border wall of course she was for 35 days and donald trump lost and uh we believe and we make the the case in the book that nancy pelosi then became the most powerful person in washington because she stared down the president and won
1: she is another character in the book who i have a completely different understanding of we know nancy pelosi as the archetype you know you know what fox news says about nancy you know what people tweet about nancy and we see her in her press conferences but in this book you discover a different respect for her that is on the Hill. You discover that even Donald Trump mm-hmm. yeah. respects Nancy Pelosi, maybe even fears her a little bit. Why?
2: Yeah, I mean, I covered Nancy Pelosi's first speakership then kind of going to the minority and then her return to glory. And when we sat down with the president in the Oval Office, I was surprised by this. I mean, he really has a reverence and a respect for her. I think largely because she has had success where he has failed. Right. Her troops, the Democrats in the House, stick with her no matter what. And for him, he sees Republicans go left, they go right, they, you know, they're mismanaged and and unorganized.
3: (laughs) Well, Donald Trump told us an amazing thing, and it's the last quote in our book. He says, Democrats stink on policy, they're bad politicians and they have the worst ideas in the world, but they stick together and Republicans don't. And he looks at that, I believe, uh, and we, we've we seen this throughout the last two years, he looks at Republicans and doesn't understand why they don't stick with him. Then he sees Nancy Pelosi keep all of her troops in line over almost every
1: issue and doesn't understand how it happens. That explains why he hasn't given her a nickname. <laughs> no, well, Jen, she, he's, I, she's I, the I only person who doesn't have everyone else, who's got sleepy this and, you know, lying that. <laughs> and, and with her, it's just like, hello, Nancy. Yeah. <laughs> there is a reverence for her. When you go through the book, you, you you start to understand that, unfortunately, Congress is not just an institution that is trying to create laws, but you've described it as a building full of people who really revel in power. Yes. It's a lot of people who are there for too long because they love the idea of having power. In fact, the way you described it in the book felt for me like you were talking about like 530 Schmeagles, essentially. <laughs> they were just like, my precious, that's all they want. Right. Like, is that really what drives these people?
2: I think you have to realize it takes a certain amount of narcissism to run for office, to think that you b- before anybody else should represent the country uh-huh. in this position. And I think how they all go about it is trying to get more power. Power begets power. They want to run for leadership. They want to run for chairmanships.
3: Yeah, they want to get power to either achieve legislative ends, get, right. their, get their priorities through, or to have control over other people, I think is the big thing. And I think if you look at a Paul Ryan or a Kevin McCarthy, it takes a lot to get into a position of power. Mitch McConnell. Yes. He. Uh, Despite whatever's going on, is able to keep his cool and look straight ahead, and he well, does that. His neck. It's thing. <laughs> well, <laughs> it's, because, <laughs> it's because it's because it's because he has built power and chits over time. Yes, and um, the process of how members of Congress do that is endlessly fascinating.
1: The book details a story, a story that is being told right now, and we are living in it. From what you have in this book. What do you think we should be looking out for as we move into uh, the primaries and then into the presidential um, election again?
3: Well, there's definitely impeachment. And and Anna and I are like in the middle of thinking about this for in a new sense, right? Because Nancy Pelosi seems at this moment to be trying to create um, action so she doesn't have to impeach him immediately. There's a lot of people who want to impeach the president now, now, now. Nancy Pelosi says, let's hold on, let's do investigations and see where they lead us. She's not one to ever jump the gun. She is, we all oftentimes say that she's like Mitch McConnell in a way. She is able to drown out the noise, see what she needs to do, and, and finds a way to get there without shaking, without getting shook, without getting nervous. Right.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think the other thing that you can really see in this Democratic primary is our book details the messiness of the Republicans, right? From the Freedom Caucus to the more establishment Republicans. That's what's happening right now for Democrats, right? You have the establishment Democrats and then you have the Bernie wing and Democrats are really trying to figure out what is the future of the party.
1: It's an exciting journey that you've painted and honestly for me it's like you've turned Congress into almost like a Game of Thrones book so congratulations (laughs) on that. (laughs) Wonderful having you both on the show. Thank 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 you so much for being here. (laughs) The will to God is available now, and you can subscribe to Politico's Playbook. Go to politico.com. Jake Sherman, Anna Palmer, everybody. Thank you both.
0: The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, ears edition. Watch The Daily Show weeknights at 11, 10 Central on Comedy Central and the Comedy Central app. Watch full episodes and videos at thedailyshow.com.